Welcome back, everybody, to our fourth episode of Blended and Beyond. I'm Alicia Carta. And I'm Steve Matthews. And we have a very, very, very special guest with us back, back in Middletown. He shouldn't have come back, so now we're not going to let him leave. Um, Dwight Sharp. Ooh, Dwight. And we want to discuss today, um, well, Dwight's going to introduce himself, but we want to discuss today where does technology, blended learning, and equity where does it intersect? And what does that look like in the classroom? And what should it look like at a higher level? What should the structure be for the district to make sure that this happens? So we'll get to that, but first. Sorry, why are we, why are we talking to Dwight about these Dwight. things? Dwight! <laughs> well, thank you for, for having me. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come back and see some people that I do love very dearly. Oh, I love you. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Dwight Sharp, formerly the District Equity Restorative Practice and Social Emotional Learning Facilitator for Middletown Public Schools. Yeah, I was going to let you say that because I, I was going to mess that up. <laughs> really long title. <laughs> I, uh, I have a new role now working uh, with CIRC. And uh, that title is a lot smaller in the form of an educational consultant. What is CIRC? CIRC is the State Education Resource Center. So what, what's what's the elevator speech for what CIRC does? Well, CIRC's um, mainly rooted in providing resources and strategies and any technical assistance that it can to literally any district or organization in the entire state of Connecticut that works with students and even adults um, in terms of special education, equity, and anything that really is around providing the appropriate amount of equitable opportunities and access and just everything that kids need to be successful. You guys are busy. Very busy. Very, very busy. And it's it's crazy how only being there for such a short time has gone by still even faster than I thought it could. Right. Like I, I turned and I was just like, I've been here for how long? Like, right. You said a month. <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's been you've been gone longer than that. Yeah. Time it's, is. It's flying. Mm-hmm. It's really flying. Um, but yeah, there's been a lot of increase and obviously a lot of racial equity demand, mm. you know, and that's obviously, you know in line with the times that we're living in right now. Right, because COVID, I think a lot of people agree, has been a a huge lever to kind of facilitate and propel education and and people in general more into using technology for pretty much everything. I mean, we we were already pretty engrossed in technology prior to COVID, but, you know, here in the school district, as you, I'm I'm sure you remember, the use of of tech in the classroom was what it was prior to COVID. and then when we were sent home to learn entirely remotely for the however long it was, it seemed like forever. March 13th to... March 750th, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> March went on forever. Yep. Teachers and students were essentially thrown into the fire. Like, you have to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said before, that's why I was so busy then. But to find the silver lining, it was a good thing because teachers who probably never would have engaged in technology of their own accord previously have gotten pretty decent at it. Mm-hmm. And I've had several mention that to me. It's like, hey, I, I can do this now. 
Yeah. And that's great. So there's the silver lining. But then now it puts devices in the hands of every student in the district. And I'm sure across districts all over the state, I'm sure you're probably seeing Dwight. So promoting the best practices um, of education on these devices, with these devices, with the tools that we have at our disposal, and making sure every student gets what they need. So how do we, how do we promote that here? Because I think we're, we're at that point now, right, where things are going back to quote-unquote normal, mm. and we don't want um, all of that growth, all of that movement to either stop or go backward because for our conversation today, we've seen that access, that um, voice, choice, and agency for students increase because the knowledge base for teachers has increased. And for our jobs, it's how do we keep that momentum? Mm -hmm. And um, and just to discuss what does that look like from through that equity lens? Because like, yeah, you were, well, go ahead. You were saying a minute ago, go ahead. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you add that piece and my brain goes to a very um, analogous kind of mindset. And I'm thinking about just the various things that have happened throughout history that have kind of created like this level of change as far as how we as a people, as a society, like approach technology. The fact that almost everyone has a smartphone. To, to get a smartphone when they first came out, people are like, oh, I'm not spending all that kind of money. My flip phone works just fine. Let me stick with my Nokia. Let me stick with my That's Nextel. That's somewhere. I still have that. Right? Like, but then, then, then it got to a Razor. point where people eventually were getting phones for free because the technology was just so, the world was so dependent upon that technology. So eventually things just kind of almost force people. So even those like like my parents who are still a little weird and kind of uncomfortable with their smartphone, they eventually had to get one. You know, so it's it's kind of like I think that we are in a position where that momentum won't stop. Even if we tried to stop it and maybe it might slow down in some pockets, I don't think that we can stop that momentum because we've essentially opened up Pandora's box on what's possible yeah. for so many students. The number of students that I heard in the time that we were either, you know, off in the spring or even now in the beginning of the fall where like so many kids are just like, this is the best. This 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 is what I needed in order to be successful. You know, this this level of of, of space and distance almost mm -hmm. or this level of autonomy in terms of how they actually approach their learning that honestly spoke to so many students. So if we're advocating for students then my hope too is that these students are going to continue advocating for themselves. And for all the parents I've come across, as soon as they find something that their kid likes, there's a good chance that their kid's going to keep bugging them to get that. So we're going to hear it from the parents of these students that have been finding much success in this particular model. So the parents' voices speak as loudly as they typically do in most districts. They're not going to let it go away either. So do I recognize that there's probably going to be some potential pushback or some slide to a sense of comfort for maybe our educators or even for some of our students. Yeah, I think that's that's definitely um, something that's gonna happen. So as a larger district focus, I think that if we're going to be equitable and provide opportunities for all of our students to learn in the way that they feel the most comfortable, 
then I think that we also need to find a way to create a sense of allowing our teachers to teach in a way that's also going to make them feel the most impactful. Mm -hmm. Because a number of our teachers also were thrilled to be able to teach in this model. You all know this, that there are some folks that are really like quick to pick up the technology. Anything mm-hmm. you throw at them, mm-hmm. they're digesting it, they're internalizing it, they're off to the races with Early it. doctors. Right. Yeah. And then there's some that might take a little bit longer. But those that are like thriving with this and loving it and creating wonderful lessons, right, those are the ones that we want to keep fostering, keep providing professional development opportunities, keep providing them with the most, you know, up-to-date software and, and applications, you know, having them try it out and really getting engrossed with it and giving them a sense of ownership. And I think if we can find a way to kind of pair those teachers with those students, then I think what we're doing is we're creating not only an equitable access for our students, but we're creating an equitable space of work for our educators Mm -hmm. and it's a win-win when you have teachers that are working in a space that they feel comfortable but also students that are learning the way that they feel most comfortable i think that's an important point students learning the way they feel most comfortable because you think about how how kids and and people in general how they partake of everything else in their lives When, when they leave school they go home i want to watch a show on netflix or disney plus it's on demand Mm -hmm. right Everything is on demand. I want to hear a song that I like. I can bring up Pandora. I can bring up Spotify. But previously, before COVID, it's like I got to wait to, you know, consume this lesson. Mm-hmm. I have to wait for the teacher. Mm-hmm. So should it be that education is finally catching up to everything else in, in people's lives and to, to, you know, so that it could actually be on demand to a degree, meaning when the students are ready to consume the next lesson, they have the ability to do so because it's facilitated by the teachers, the school district, et cetera. Right? Yeah. I like that. Yeah, like we, we've talked about that before, Steve, and, and I think that's where, you know, that's where we come in because it's important to um, orchestrate that. Like Dwight, you talked about the the professional development like what what could it what could that look like so Mm -hmm. that people it's it's differentiated and equitable for the adults as well um and i talk like a broken record about sharing because if i'm doing something and you're doing something and steve's doing something we're all doing the same thing that's silly (laughs) like we should be working together to to work smarter, not harder. So, because that that will help us, and then that will help the students. So, I think it's all the you know the connections are there, the intersection is there, and I I, I uh, that's something that we've been trying to do this year, mm-hmm. and that we'll you know we'll keep working toward. But right, because we're engaging students with devices. So, yeah. the the thought is that. The majority of their work is done with some type of device, being an iPad, a Chromebook, mm-hmm. and we're telling students, here's here's how we want you to do the work. So I think that starts to bring up questions of equity in terms of do, do students have access to devices? Mm-hmm. And in, in a lot of cases, the answer is yes, because they're provided by the district, but there's outside of uh, school, outside of school district, other factors that come into play. Like you know, before we started, uh, we were talking with Dwight about that. Um, you know, what kind of access do they have at home? Do they have access at home at all? Do they have um, an internet service provider? Mm-hmm. 
or do they not? Do they have to go to the local library to access the internet? Right. These are um, challenges that that we have to find a way to overcome. Very true. Very true. And I think back to the very first time the internet graced its presence in the hallowed halls of my household. <laughs> and all oh, that dial-up sound, oh, how beautiful it was. Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Online. Yep. And, remember that? Oh, my God. But it was wild because I remember, like, here I was a kid that grew up, like, you know, like, in, like, this housing project for a long time. And, like, I just didn't think that, like, I would ever get to a point where, like, I felt kind of, like, in, like, this kind of status feeling. But the, the year that we got dial-up was also the year that we moved out of the projects and moved into the suburbs. I'm thinking, oh, this is what happens in the suburbs, right? Like, you get the you get the cool stuff in the suburbs. In the projects, you don't get it. Like So, like, that's kind of how my, my 13-year-old mind was kind of processing that. Yeah. But it's not false in the sense that when we, we look at, say, a suburban area, right, and you talk about, you know, if you were to move to a suburb and, like, you know what? I need to set up internet. Frontier, whoever else, cable providers, they're coming out. They're coming out quick, right? The line's already there. They'll tell you like, oh, you know what? Previous owners, I had it all set up, yeah. right? But if you go to another place that might be, if we're talking maybe a more rural place, not even necessarily like an urban city, but like a more rural place, yeah. like to, to get that access out there, it's going to take a whole lot. Right. And if you ask a provider to do it, they're going to be like, well, is it really worth our time to do it? So even as a as a as a district that's providing the device, if the provider won't provide the access to make the device actually work optimally, you have a very expensive paperweight. Exactly. So at that point, there's a whole number of of organizations that need to work together to really make it possible for this to be as productive and as you know effective as possible. Do you guys do any work at CERC? along those lines of helping people to obtain access who don't have it? That is something that I am not entirely certain of. What I do know is that we definitely do a lot of work with organizations, you know, so community organizations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that work is really involved with specific groups that might find themselves in need of certain things. So really, our job is to kind of educate folks or put folks um, in connection with other folks. Mm. So in some cases, we are kind of a, a liaison between certain groups, which I think works out really well. So I think in that sense, we are helping to to provide, you know, certain groups with, you know, opportunities or, or access to things that they might not have had before. Um, but in, in my head, when I think of Cirque, I think of it no different as a really well-functioned, community-focused school district. Mm. It's just that it's for the entire state. Right. Well, I think we do a decent job of, of helping people uh, with access as a school district. We send home hotspots to uh, families right. who need it. I mean, granted, the, 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 you know, the, the information doesn't flow as freely as it would if they had a high-speed internet access from Comcast or Charter or Frontier or whoever, but it's, it's, it's something... I believe we worked with Comcast, didn't we? Yeah, like, yeah I believe to so. Some, some extent. And there's there's talk about you know providing access, um, like in the downtown, like kind of a a wide area oh, network, right, if right, you right. will, so people have broadband access, free internet access, and I think that's a something that is in the works. I'm not positive though. Don't quote me on that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean. I, 
it, it behooves any organization that's that's providing that to make it accessible to everyone. I mean, really anybody, everybody wins. I mean, the second that people have access to internet, yeah, they're going to be engaged in education, but they're also going to be engaged with a whole lot of other things, entertainment. I mean, we live in a country that is very focused on um, capitalism, right? So uh, capitalism works based off of advertisement. Mm-hmm. And what better way <laughs> to advertise than obviously to, to kind of come through through the internet. So honestly, it's a win-win so I can't understand why it wouldn't be something that every provider would be like, you know, chomping at the bit to just provide access to this wonderful World Wide Web. But of course, as we provide access, it is important that there is some education around how to use that access safely, appropriately. And I think that's where the education system comes in. And for us to have it in the classroom with the students, that's even that's even better, you know, versus those dial-up days, you know, where you're in like, you know, your chat rooms and like, you know, you're typing on whatever, like, you know, away in like a closet somewhere or chat maybe you're room. At, or in chat rooms or you're maybe you're like in the library and like the back stack somewhere, right? Like, you know, like learning all these things, but you're learning it kind of like in private, but to actually be able to learn it with company, you know, I think that increases the ability of, of understanding and access and learning, right? When you have students working together in a group to do, you know, a particular project or to work on assignment or even answer one question in the classroom, you're getting a whole lot of rich discussion. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine that we're taking that same piece, but also putting computers in the hands of all of them. Think about the far-reaching perspectives that they can now also grab from beyond what's just in the classroom and just inside their minds. So it's, it's, it's the sky's the limit with it. So I can't imagine why any district wouldn't want to create any particular plans that really put that at the forefront for students. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want students to be the best that they can be, we need to provide them with as much, you know, quality information and education as possible. But obviously nothing's going to replace the teacher to obviously come in and kind of help facilitate. Not necessarily teach, not to be the expert, but to facilitate and guide in, you know, appropriate places to go or appropriate ways of how to discern between, you know, fact and fiction and and to really, you know, take the time to critically analyze what it is that they're consuming. Right. Yeah, the teacher definitely is serving as, as a guide to help students navigate the wilds of the Internet. And the points you already mentioned, helping kids to discern what is true versus false, where are reliable sources of information. And we have the, the besides the knowledge, the tools to assist with that. You know, we talked mm-hmm. about a Hapara a couple yeah, episodes ago. Good. And, you know, again, this is not a to promote Hapara per se, but there's a, a, an aspect of the tool called filter browsing or focus browsing. So teachers can kind of narrow the field and say, here's the group of websites that you're going to be allowed to search from, which can be helpful because if you've ever tried to do an internet search about anything and you're not particularly savvy with your search terms, you're going to end up with all kinds of crazy Mm -hmm. stuff and you have to kind of refine and refine and refine. And that of itself is a skill that's important for kids to learn, but at what level? You know, that's something we kind kind of release the reins gradually as they get older. But yeah, we're definitely acting as guides. Now, um, kind of re redirecting back to the, the equity piece, you know, we had a, a couple of questions that we were wondering about, um, and we may have touched upon these a little bit, but let's just explicitly ask, what does technological equity mean to you, Dwight, in the context of your experience, your 
position, both present and previous. Well, that's interesting because I mean, I appreciate the fact that you're you're putting the word in front of equity because I think that equity sometimes gets kind of broadly used. We we did talk about that too because a lot of people automatically assume it must be racial equity. Right. Well, it, it is sometimes, and other times it's not. Right. I mean, equity. And correct me if I'm wrong. Is giving every person what they need? Mm. Is that a true statement? That is a true statement. Okay, I understand it. So, te- technology, yes, equity, mm-hmm. tech equity, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, I mean, we've talked about obviously the idea of making sure that students have the devices. I mean, that in itself is an important thing, right? So, at that point, we're providing them the opportunity to even access the information by actually giving them the technology. And when we talk about access, so at that point, now we're not just talking about providing them with the device, but also making sure that they can utilize the device to its fullest extent. But at the same time too, you know, we wanna make sure that we are representative. And what I mean by that is when I think about the work that we're doing at CERC and you know, work that we've done here in Middletown, we have students that are of some differing needs and to have technology that can actually kind of get to those needs, right? Like even even little things like in Zoom where you can add closed captions now to Zoom, right? So now for, for our students that are, you know, hard of hearing, we have now provided a te- technological access for them, right? So if we're talking about technology equity, you're right, it's not just about race, but it's also about all those other identities or or differing needs of our students or people in general Mm. so to to really capitalize on the technology to provide you know an avenue for those students that have needs that are beyond that of the mainstream is i think very important so when i that's what i think about when i think about kind of it from a representative equity space but the other piece which i think is the most important piece is the expectation because we can talk about access, we can talk about opportunity. I think that really is a, a physical, tangible thing in terms of devices and, mm-hmm. and providers. And we can talk about representation and making sure that you know we are providing all the different uh, apps or or different um, features within apps that make it accessible for for students or, or adults that are you know of particular needs. But the expectation piece of our teachers, but the expectation piece of our students, right? Because mm-hmm. there is this this almost uh, thought process, you're all young people, you should automatically know exactly how to use technology. So I'm just gonna give it to you and trust that you know what to do with it, right? right. And I think that's a false expectation that we have of people in general sometimes just assume that they know. So when I think about technology equity, I think the most important piece of that is that people are educated on what it is that they are being given, that there is an opportunity for them to learn. So for me, tech equity first starts with making sure that folks are at a level of comfort or at least have an opportunity to build a sense of comfort around the technology, whether it's a new app or it's a new piece of hardware. And I think along the similar lines, uh, the teachers knowing enough about a varied set of tools to provide students with the opportunity to have a choice 
like, okay, you don't have to write a Google Doc. You can do a Google Doc or slides, or maybe you want to use WeVideo and, and do a video response, et cetera, and that they allow the students to have the choice. So they have that mindset of, of being ready to accept a variety of different output from the kids. Exactly. Right, and that's where we, again, that's where we tried to come in this year with our right. PD. And so here are the tools. What is the most appropriate one for the task that you want the students to complete and then you know even going further into the blended learning um, aspect of it let's make a choice board so here's your choice board and you can choose how you'd like to represent your learning mm -hmm. or individual playlists so this is your you go through these steps this is what you need to do these are the videos you need to watch and the tasks you need to complete or be individual be small group but um i think coming you know from high level bringing it down that's what we've been trying mm -hmm. that's we've been trying to do all year is is when you walk in because i when i when we thought about that question like what does it look like and sound like when you walk into a classroom mm -hmm. so it's not just a chromebook or an ipad in front of a, a student it's if you were to sit down next to a group or an individual student, what is on that Chromebook? Mm -hmm. Is it is it um, an app which um you know they have their time and their place, but is it is it a meaningful task that was thoughtfully designed and shared with each other and you know so that that's the that's when I think about it because if you do that. I kind of feel like that there's there's your there's your equity you've 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 met the needs hopefully of the students in your class what they need that makes sense that makes a whole lot of sense you know and I think that goes back to your initial question too as far as what does an entire you know kind of district do from like that district level lens at this point or I should say at that point, there needs to be a real, not necessarily an overhaul, but a real critical analysis of just what is it that you are expecting from your students? What do your standards actually say? What does your curriculum actually say in terms of what is a appropriate showcase of learning? Because that's really what it is. That, that, I think, is where maybe some of the fear comes from in some of our educators is that you've gotten so used to teaching something a particular way. Like, I feel so comfortable knowing exactly what I should be getting back. But when you provide so much choice, it feels sort of overwhelming. But I think that's where we really need to be very careful in terms of not letting ourselves rely or kind of fall back on that fear. Because the second that we do that, then I think we start kind of pulling away from providing our students with the access and all of this equitable choice. So as, a, as an adult, in the space, I think that there needs to be a relinquishing of control. And that sometimes is tough to do. But I think that that control can be easily relinquished if there's enough time spent saying, okay, this is the particular you know, standard and there are 
this many different ways in which that standard could be shown in terms of being a successful meeting of that standard. And then you have all these different options. So it's not just one. Mm -hmm. It's a student that's, you know, displaying it with, you know, a Google Slides presentation. Or maybe it's a student that decides that they want to do a flip grid and actually mm -hmm. perform it. Right. Or maybe there's, you know, some other means in which they want to kind of display this information. Maybe they're creating some kind of a, a, a session in which they provide access to a Padlet and, and it's becoming more interactive. So like, mm -hmm. it, there, there are so many different ways that students should be given opportunities to showcase their learning. And as educators, our job should be being able to recognize when that has actually taken place and not limiting it to just one or two different ways of how we feel most comfortable ex what's the word? assessing their level of learning. That's a, that's a, a big ask. <laughs> I think we, I, I think, and I think that's, a, you know, to bring it full circle, that's what I was, you know, referring to as the, you know, the momentum. Cause I think, I think teachers, coaches, I think we're we're seeing that because there, there's other side effects of the voice choice and agency like you've got engaged students so there's fewer possible behavior issues like so when you start to see the benefits mm -hmm. um, it just kind of is a snowball effect mm -hmm. and so I think that's um, this year yep we've been hybrid and it's been it's it's been a year but um hopefully moving forward that the, you know we'll continue to see those benefits and just continue to to build and grow right and i think we're, we're taking incremental steps right. towards uh eating this elephant if you will yeah you know because you can't eat it all at once no but you know it started last year uh here's some teachers first foray into google classroom all right got it what's the next thing yeah. and build up on the small successes from there um yep and and i will just to end our time together we had a meeting with um kindergarten through second grade and we just on wednesday and we just celebrated mm -hmm. and we're going to do it on next wednesday with grades three through five sorry middle and high school that's i don't <laughs> I, I don't go up that high but um um we just celebrated and like you know, I made a list of everything that everybody's done, like just whatever came to mind. And it's like, just look what you've done. You know, not not looking at it from a, oh, but look at it from a, wow, look what we've accomplished this year. And it was really, it was really cool. And like, what can we, what can we carry over to next year? What would you like to add? Just, just, it was a quick half hour, but it was, it was, um, tried to make it joyful and, and celebratory. And I think that will, keep us moving in in that right direction absolutely dwight it's been amazing having you back it's Thank great you. to see you 31 sure minutes 31 minutes see see we don't want to let you <laughs> no we don't want to let you go, let you go. any talking. uh parting thoughts or reflections on what we talked about observations i think that's it reflections and observations like that that's really what it is i think that you talking about that that celebration piece people oftentimes focus so much on 
the the negative it's so much on like the the pain or the struggle or just like oh my god it was so tough oh my god i can't believe this oh my god i put on this many pounds because i stayed at home and ate this many sleeves of oreo cookies right like there's like how'd you know <laughs> what do you, <laughs> right? what do you mean, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> but but at the same time if we don't take enough time to also recognize the good that happened in that space you know so so for me if i don't bring a plug for family in this then i don't think i'm doing my due diligence but you know the the pandemic and, and, and being on lockdown was definitely ridiculously difficult and hard for many, many people. And, and, and I recognized that. And because of that, I was able to enjoy my time with my newborn that much more. So, so th- there was a whole lot of struggle. There was a whole lot of just like trying to figure things out. But at the same time, I was also able to kind of get this time with my child and kind of watch that development. So I think that if anything, when you're reflecting, don't just focus on the negative, recognize the positive, celebrate the positive, because you're right, it's exactly what's gonna create that level of momentum and that level of just kind of just morale boost. That's gonna be like, all right, I did this. Some of it sucked, but I was able to do this. Mm -hmm. So how do we keep going? Great parting words, Dwight. Thank you very much. Dwight Dwight. Sharp, everybody. Thank you. Alicia, that's four episodes in the books. What? And, you know, just a reminder, everybody. Official. We are definitely official. We are official on Spotify. We are official on Google and also official on Apple Podcasts. So you can pretty much find us on your favorite podcasting platform. That's what I'm going to call it. Um, if you're interested in talking with Alicia and myself about blended learning, technology in your classroom, etc., you can reach out to us and, and we can get you on the show. Let's Otherwise, do let's do it. Yeah. It's been a great conversation with Dwight Sharp, education consultant from Cirque. I'm Steve Matthews. I'm Alicia Carta. Happy Friday, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you next time. Blended and Beyond is a production of Middletown Public Schools Instructional Technology, copyright 2021. The podcast is produced by Alicia Carter and Steve Matthews. Editing and original music by Steve Matthews.